This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Just how powerful is our God? Often we miss the awesome power of God in our lives because we are so preoccupied with the circumstances of our lives. I fear that sometimes a great deal of our worry and consternation is derived from our inability to sit still in the Lord's presence and meditate on his power revealed in his word. We get a glimpse of that power today in Jeremiah 25, as we witness God's ability to raise up kings and move nations to accomplish his purposes in the lives of his people. Now, as we consider the world around us today, perhaps this can give us a fresh view of this power at work in us, and maybe that could settle our hearts today as well. Look at the first 14 verses of Jeremiah 25 today. This is the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah spoke concerning all the people of Judah and all the residents of Jerusalem as follows. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Amoz, king of Judah, until this very day, twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. The Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. He announced, Turn each of you from your evil way of life and from your evil deeds. Live in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors long ago and forever. Do not follow other gods and serve them and to bow and worship to them. And do not anger me by the works of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. But you have not obeyed me. This is the Lord's declaration, with the result that you have angered me by the work of your hands and brought disaster on yourselves. Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says. Because you have not obeyed my words, I'm going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will bring them against this land, against its residents, and against all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an example of horror and scorn and ruins forever. I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them, the voice of the groom and the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will become a desolate ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. When the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. This is the Lord's declaration. The land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, and I will make it a ruin forever. I will bring on that land all my words I have spoken against it, all that is written in the book that Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings will enslave them, and I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. What strikes me most about these verses in Jeremiah 25 is the sovereignty of God. 
The chapter begins with God's reminder of his repeated warnings about this people's stiff-necked rebellion in chasing after other gods and refusing to walk in the ways of the Lord. He reminds them of the continuous warnings against them. God's long-suffering and patience with their rebellion has run out, and the day of judgment has come. Jeremiah warns them once more that God is about to raise up Nebuchadnezzar to punish them, to carry them away into captivity. He tells them, I will bring them against this land, against its residents and all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an example of horror and scorn and ruins forever. He then informs them that Babylon will hold them in captivity for 70 years, and then he will unseat Babylon and bring them back into the land. Now what I want you to notice today is the interplay between the sovereign hands of God and the deliberate choices of man. Watch, God is accomplishing his divine plans through the conscious decisions of humanity. There is no inconsistency here, only a beautifully intricate tension. God made a covenant with Judah that he would bless them if they obeyed him and followed him, but he would curse them if they rebelled against him. They made their choices of their own volition, Choosing first to banish God as their king, they instead clamored for human kings, trading the authority and favor of the holy God of Israel for a mere mortal. Listen, even the best of kings were a paltry substitute for the Holy One of Israel. This decision sent them down a spiral of corruption that eventually led to worshiping a multiplicity of false gods. God viewed their idolatry as the worst kind of immoral and illicit prostitution. They repeatedly ignored the words of prophet after prophet. They knew the day was coming, but it never incited in them a spirit of genuine repentance, only a pretentious display of momentary sorrow. For God to be consistent with his character, they left him no choice but to punish their evil ways. Verse 7 reads, You have not obeyed me. This is the Lord's declaration, with the result that you have angered me by the works of your hands and brought disaster on yourselves. So he sovereignly raises up King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to carry them into captivity, and then King Cyrus to return them to their homeland at the end of those 70 years, just as he had promised. Babylon made their own choice to attack and conquer Judah, just as Assyria had done with Israel years earlier. They were wholly responsible for those decisions, but those very decisions accomplished the work of God's judgment on the nation of Judah for her sin. God's wisdom accomplishes his own divine will and purpose through sinful humanity's volitional sovereign choices. Therefore, for their attack of Judah, Babylon was to be judged even despite their conquest of Judah accomplishing God's sovereign plans. They still made their own choices, and God would punish them for their acts of aggression. Herein lies the wisdom of God and his ability to work through man's choices to accomplish his sovereign directives. You see, the two are in a divine dance at all times. They never work against each other. 
The will of man serves the purposes of God because his wisdom is two steps ahead of their human logic at all times. This dynamic is why beginning in verse 15, God will pour out his wrath on Babylon. Though her choices served God's divine purposes, they were still accountable for those actions. Now there is also an apocalyptic overtone to these verses. While in some respect these verses speak of God's work during this period of Israel's history, they point to an even greater fulfillment at the end of time when God pours out his wrath on spiritual Babylon for their persecution of the new Israel. His fury will make desolate the kings of the earth and utterly destroy their cruel reign of terror in the world. Here again, we see God's unique ability to accomplish through human means his divine directives. Revelation 15 and 16 records for us God's judgment on Babylon for her evil corruption. He will indeed make the nations stagger at the wine of his wrath. Listen to Revelation 18, 1 through 3. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown weary from her sensuality and excess. Here again we see the imagery of idolatry and immorality inextricably linked. So we have to ask ourselves, as we apply these verses, what kind of God raises up kings and tears them down just so his people will turn from their rebellion? What sort of God uses captivity as an instrument of invitation for his people to turn back to him and serve him again? He's already done so much for these ungrateful, rebellious people. Yet this God deeply loves and is committed to his covenant people. This God is powerful enough to move heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes in the lives of this people. And yet even still, they turn from him. How many times in our lives have we been stiff-necked and rebellious in the face of God's miraculous provision and grace for us? We need to understand that God will use even the adversity of our lives to bring us back to himself. He will use even and especially the difficult seasons of our lives as a means of pulling us back to himself. What kind of God interacts with his people in such a way? What kind of God an incredibly thoughtful God would think to do this. What kind of power does it take to bring all this to pass? And what kind of wisdom and forethought does it bring to have prophets speak of this prior to its fulfillment? What an incredibly patient, creative, long-suffering, gracious, powerful, wise, and loving God who longs for community with his covenant people. We should heed the words of verse 4 of Revelation 18. They read, Then I heard another voice from heaven. 
Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. We should marvel at the wisdom of God that supersedes the foolishness of men and can rightly accomplish his designs through wrong-headed men. It should give us comfort and hope, knowing that this world may bring evil, but God can take those weapons that were to be used against us to accomplish his own divine purposes. In this way, we are more than conquerors, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8. This understanding brings the words of Jesus into strong focus. John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus, thank you for the seasons of captivity, the seasons of difficulty that have drawn our hearts back to you. Open our eyes to your power and your wisdom and keep us close to your heart. Give us a more profound desire to love and follow you and an ever-growing appreciation of all that you have done and are doing around us to draw us to yourself. Help us to see it, to recognize it, and appreciate it. What an incredible God you are. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.